Well, good morning, church. I can honestly say this is the best looking church in the whole of England. Now, obviously, I'm talking about your faces, not the building, obviously. No, honestly, this is what a blessing from God. What a blessing. This is beautiful. And so I'm excited to be here with you this morning. Um, I can actually breathe this morning. Uh, my husband has just got back um, late Friday night, got back from Pakistan. Um, I apologize for the video being slightly out of date. So our home in Pakistan is now open. Last May, uh, we opened the home. Very different from Kenya. Our kids in Kenya are orphans and street kids. Our home in Pakistan was for children that were working in the brick factories. So these children have families, but they're slaves. And in Pakistan, slavery is inherited, and then the next generation will continue to inherit that. And so to meet children who you know for generations upon generations upon generations of their whole family lineage are going to be slaves, to come in and have the grace of God kiss a project and be able to take out 52 children, not only rescuing their lives, but their children's children and their children's 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 children, out of slavery. And so Matthew was back in Pakistan this last week, visiting our home, making sure everything's still running great. When now, um, I was there in May for the opening, and everything's wonderful when you're meeting the 52 that have been rescued. However, we went back to the brick factories where my heart was broken initially two, two three years ago now. And um, to go in and still meet hundreds of kids that we can't get access to. The Brickmasters literally own these families, own these children. The children have no rights. Their parents have no rights. They are owned by the Brickmasters. And so the Brickmasters allowed us to take the kids that were ill, the kids that were not the good workers, that didn't make lots of bricks. So the kids that have got juvenile arthritis or chronic conditions and the ones that are always sickly and not working well, they let us have them. But there's plenty of other kids that we were not allowed to have. And without a move of the Holy Spirit, we will never be allowed to have. But there's always a way. There's always a way. So I'm stood in the brick factory, supposed to be doing a, a filming uh, to, for the launch of the home, and I lost it. I just, I, I couldn't do anything. I just sobbed because I'm surrounded by the kids that have not yet been rescued. And I couldn't do anything. Matthew was always my voice of reason. My husband, Matthew's the, the logical thinker in the two of us. I'm the heart. What is the heart saying? Let's, let's, let's take them all. And Matthew's the logical, has a brain kind of person. So I'm thankful for marriage. Um... And Matthew turned to me and said, baby, you can't take them all. And I knew what he was saying is true naturally, but oh my goodness, I'm not accepting that. I'm not having that because there's always a way. And so, yes, right now, we can't get those out of slavery. But I thought, what if, just what if we can get into the brick factories what if we could do a weekly program bringing Sunday school in to the brick factories? Now, that's a ridiculous concept. What brickmaster who wants to have a lot of money and a lot of bricks in his right mind, what brickmaster is going to possibly allow that? It's never been done, ever. It's never been done. 
across the whole of Pakistan, it's never been done. No one's gone into the brick factories doing Sunday school ever. It's a ridiculous idea. But you know what? We serve a God who works in the ridiculous. When we will just believe him, he's a God who's willing. You know, he's on the move. He is moving. Sometimes he's waiting for us to move. And he's like, look at us saying, baby, if you'll just step out. Baby, if you'll just move, watch what I want to do. And so by some incredible move of the Holy Spirit, these brickmasters have allowed us to go into brick factories doing Sunday school every week across the nation, bringing hope, bringing love, bringing the joy that only he can bring in the middle of their circumstance. Naturally speaking, they still have no hope. Naturally speaking, everything still seems lost, but there's always hope in him, always hope in him. I think of the guys on the road to Emmaus. You know, these guys on the road to Emmaus, they've just crucified Jesus. They've just buried Jesus, and these two men are his friends, and they're walking the Emmaus road thinking, this is not what it was supposed to have gone. This feels hopeless. God, where are you in this situation? He was supposed to be the one to redeem Israel, and now he's dead and buried. What is going on? And the reality of our situations can sometimes look like that. And you feel like you walk in this Emmaus road of, I don't get it. This is not how it was supposed to have gone, God. I remember leading a witch doctor to Christ in Bumalabi. And doing one of my hop, skip, and a jumps, because now the whole village is going to come to know Christ, right? The witch doctor got saved. Obviously, now everyone's going to get saved, obviously. Except it didn't go that way. It never goes the way that I say it should go, ever. And so about a week later, after this incredible transformation in his life, what does he do? He goes straight back to witchcraft. Goes back, just like a dog returning to its vomit goes straight back to it, starts abusing his wife and his little girl, and everything that I thought was going to go in a certain direction, it went the opposite. <laughs> and sometimes we're on an Emmaus road and we're saying, but God, this is not what was supposed to happen. This is not how I prayed it to go. But on that Emmaus road walked a man that two men in disbelief and despair didn't even recognize. His name was Jesus. And what does Jesus do? He points them back to his word. He points these two guys who are lost in despair, so blinded by disappointment they can't recognize him. And he points them back to the scripture. Didn't it say that the Messiah had to endure these things? Didn't the scriptures tell us right back from the days of Moses that the, the, the Redeemer had to go through this? And all of a sudden, their hearts begin to burn. There's something about a burning heart. In the midst of your disappointment, you can still have a burning heart, but it's a choice. It's a choice. We can either succumb to circumstances and throw a tantrum saying, this is not how it was supposed to have worked out. That witch doctor was supposed to get radically transformed and my whole village was supposed to know Jesus by now. This is not how it was supposed to go. And we can have our tantrum and not see God. Or we can choose to have a heart that continually burns after him. That even when it's got not gone how I wanted it to go, it's not gone how I prayed it to go, but my heart still burns, still yearns, still seeks him. You know, there's a scripture in Psalms that's been blowing my mind this week. It's um, the New Living Translation, and it says, uh, God said, will you come and talk to me? 
Will you come and talk to me? And David replies in the Psalms, I'm coming, God. I'm coming, God. And I've never read it in that translation before. The other translation says, Lord, your face I will seek. But the whole thing of, will you come? Will you come and dine with me? Will you come and take time with me? Will you come? I can't see her right now, but will you come to the altar when I'm asking you to, despite having a busy day, despite having a kid, despite having toothache? Will you just come and love on me for a little while? Will you come and be with me? And when we've got a heart that says, God, I'm coming. You see the two men on the road to Emmaus, despite being disappointed, suddenly truth stirs up their hearts. If you want your heart stirring today, get in the word of God. If you want your heart stirring up despite the situations going on at home, get in the word. That's going to stir you up. That's going to stoke a fire that no man can put out, that no disappointment come out. Let that word stir up your heart today, that you too will do what the guys on the road to Emmaus did. You see, when Jesus pretended like he was going to keep on going and the men had reached their point of destination, they said, won't, won't you come in? Won't you, won't you dine with us for a little while? Something had stirred in their hearts that knew they didn't want to leave this guy just yet. They still couldn't see who it was, but they knew they needed what he got. Won't you come and dine with me, Jesus? Won't you come and stay with me a little longer, Jesus? We don't want to rush out of your presence, but God, won't you just come and dwell with us a little longer? Stay with me a little longer. And as he does, their life is transformed and their eyes are opened to see you see, three days of darkness on the earth, three days where disappointment couldn't get any worse. I mean, he's dead, he's buried, he's in a tomb, it's not getting worse than this. Complete darkness on the earth. And physically, their eyes saw nothing happening. Sometimes in your life, it feels darker than dark. And you're looking around thinking, what is going on? What is happening here, Jesus? What's going on? You see, you can't see anything with your eyes. But let me tell you, in those three days in the tomb, Jesus wasn't just sleeping. He was grabbing a hold of the keys. He was doing more in the world of darkness than has ever been done before. And you don't know what he's doing in the hidden moments. You have no idea what's going on in the unseen realms. And in your moments of disappointment, if you'll press into him, yearning after him, watch what he's doing in your unseen. Watch what he's doing in your character. Watch what he's doing in your prayer life. Watch what he's doing in the situations that have not unraveled how you thought they would or thought they should. Watch what he is doing because he's still got a hold of those keys today. He's got the keys of the kingdom. But we've got a choice. We've got a choice. We can allow our hearts to yearn and stir after him, or we can be blinded by disappointment. I encourage you today, let your hearts be stirred. Well, that's not at all my message, so that was just your bargain for free. Um, I actually want to share this morning a message called Untouchable. So Matt's just been in Pakistan, as I said, um, helping to see how the home's going, to set up this Sunday school in the brick factories. Um, but then he also had another mission. Um, we don't want to ever settle. We don't want to ever think, well, yeah, this is good now. But, you know, we've found enough feet and there's always more. And um, you see, right in the north of Pakistan, right on the border of Afghanistan, exactly why, I mean... I mean, bless his heart, Matthew is whiter than white. Whiter than white. There is no covering up how white my husband is. 
he has ginger hair and whiter than white. Do you remember the old Daz adverts from years ago? Matthew could have been a Daz advert. He is whiter than whites. Matthew with a tan is still see-through. And of course, like that would be the worst possible person to send to the Afghan border. I mean, he stands out like a sore thumb and he's got a Yorkshire accent. I mean, come on, Jesus. Yet, for some reason, you know, when you pray for nations, God actually listens. Be careful what you're praying for. You see, when I was praying for nations, I'm thinking maybe the Maldives, you know? You know, these nice nations, as Hawaii needs saving, Jesus. I'm willing to go. But when you ask for nations, he's going to give them to you. And if, if God can find someone willing, he'll snap you up and take you. And so Matthew went towards the border of Afghan, working to see what we can do there. Uh, it's actually going to be easier for me. I'm going to go out there hopefully the next year or the year after to, to start a new project up there. And um, if anyone has a spare burqa, I will take it. Because genuinely, that's what I'm going to have to wear. Genuinely, I'm going to have to wear that. Dark makeup and a burqa. And I'm set. I just need to keep my mouth shut. That's the hard part. Um, but going up on the Afghan border, he met little girls who've been living in public toilets. Little girls who fled Taliban. Mum and dad killed, fled Taliban, now living in a toilet. How can we stay in our little neat homes when that's going on? God's just looking for those who are willing. He's just looking for someone who's going to be willing to touch an untouchable situation. But the whole time Matt was there, I couldn't breathe. We've had 10 prayer meetings at our church this week. And obviously, um, I was leading the prayer meeting. So little Josiah, my little boy, had to come. There was no staying at home and relaxing. He had to come to all 10 of the prayer meetings. And every single one, people were crying out for Matt's protection, which as a wife, I'm thankful for. Um, but little Josiah's listening to it. And after each prayer meeting, he'd say, mommy, what's going on? Daddy's okay, right? Yes, baby, daddy's fine. Please, 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 please just, daddy's fine. Yeah, no problem. I remember waking up one morning from a text saying, um, just letting you know, I've been stopped by the police and they've confiscated my passport. Morning. Quite the way to wake up. That woke me up more than any alarm clock has ever woken me up in my life before. Um, but he landed home back in the safety of England Friday night. So I'm breathing again. I'm breathing again. It's fine when I'm out there, but when he's out there, it, it's always harder for the one who stays, isn't it? I'm only just learning this because I'm normally the one who goes. So I'm only just realizing it's actually way harder for whoever stays behind. Um, but he's back, he's safe, he's well. But I'm delighted that I'm married to a husband who's willing to touch some untouchable situations. Um, so I want to read a scripture to this, this morning about when Jesus touched an untouchable situation. It's Luke chapter 7. If you've got your Bibles, it's Luke chapter 7 and verse 11 through to verse 17. Um, Jesus actually visits a town called Nain. I had the joy of going to uh, Israel last September. And uh, we did all the usual tourist stops in Israel. You know, the Garden of Gethsemane, the Mount of Olives, the, the tomb, all these incredible places. The Sea of Galilee, wow, amazing. Anyone, if you get the opportunity, go to Israel. It brings the Bible alive. And just being on the Sea of Gethsemane thinking, wow, this is where it all happened. 
but one place that I was desperate to go, and it's not on the normal tourist spot, as it were, was Nain. And I begged and I begged. Literally every day I would say to our host, are we going by a name by any chance? Hey, look at me. No, no, we're not going to Nain. We're going to Galilee. We're going to the exciting places, Becky. We're not going to Nain. Okay, okay. And then the next day, so are we going via Nain by any chance? Just anywhere near the location where we could swing by maybe? No, Becky, no. The final day, we were supposed to be going to Joppa. And again, so we don't suppose Joppa's anywhere near Nain, is it? And I think, I don't know whether he was just trying to shut me up or whether by this point he took pity on me. But we got to go via Nain. There's nothing there. Absolutely. The pe the, I was with a tour bus of 42 people. I could feel their eyes glaring into the back of my head as we delay the whole tour while I get to go and have a quick wander around Nain. There's nothing in Nain. But I wanted to go and this is why I wanted to be standing right in the place where this scripture I'm about to read happened. So Luke chapter 7 verse 11, soon afterward Jesus went to a town called Nain and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother and she was a widow. A large crowd from the town was with her when the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin that they were carrying him on. He touched the coffin that they were carrying him on. And the coffin bearers stood still. He said, young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared amongst us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. I'm always am amazed in scripture how Jesus stops for one. That's our whole heartbeat. This will be my lifelong message forever. We can stop for one. Jesus stops for a woman at a well in John 4, completely changes not just her life, but her whole village's life, and that's my heartbeat. The Dignity Project stopped for a mum at a school gate. We've now reached 16,500 girls with the Dignity Project. 16,500. But it's because we stopped for a mum. One mum. Well, it was actually two. <laughs> two mums at the school gate. We stopped for two. Jesus stops for one. That's my point. We can all stop for one. But in doing so, I believe that it's not just that one life that's transformed, but multiple nations, if we'll just press in and believe for it. Nations can be transformed if we have the mentality of stopping for the one, not too busy for the one. And Jesus in John 4 stops for this one. We see him again with the woman with the issue of blood who presses in for a miracle. If I can just grab the hem of his garment, what a faith. And she comes in, this woman who shouldn't even be in a crowd in Jewish custom. With an issue of blood, she should not be in a crowded place in that day and culture. But she presses in for a miracle. She discreetly comes through the crowd and doesn't want to bother the master. If I can just touch his garment, that's enough. I'll be healed. And indeed she does. She manages to get through the crowd. She grabs a hold of the garment and she's instantly healed. But Jesus does something amazing. He stops. Now, what's going on in this exact moment is Jesus is on his way to pray for Jairus' daughter. 
Jairus is this important synagogue ruler. Everybody knows Jairus is his name. He's influential, he's, he's powerful, he's affluent. Jesus, that's good PR. Heal his daughter, that's great PR. You go for it, Jesus. Heal Jairus' daughter. Jairus' daughter's only 12 and she's dying. It's an urgent matter. This woman with the issue of blood, her issue wasn't killing her. She was ill with it and it had gone on for years, but it wasn't killing her. Jairus' daughter's dying. That's far more urgent. And sometimes we see with natural eyes, if I'd have been a disciple that day, I'd have been saying, Jesus, what are you doing? Come along now, Jesus. Hurry up now, Jesus. There's more important matters to attend to. Come on now, Jesus. I mean, with the woman with the issue of blood, we don't even know her name. That's how unimportant she is. But Jesus stops. Sometimes we can see our own lives and we see the needs around the world that are far greater, far more urgent, far more important. Why on earth should he stop for little old me and you? But he does. In his divine grace, in his ultimate wisdom, in his incredible mercy and compassion, he stops for you today. Whatever it is that's on your heart, don't you quit praying just because there's other things more urgent that you think with your brain. You press in for that miracle because just as he stopped for her, he'll stop for you. The comparison between her and Jairus is beautiful. She's had 12 years of an illness, 12 years of suffering, 12 years of pain. His little girl just so happens to be 12. He's had 12 years of joy. He's known, he's popular, he's influential, he's powerful, he's a man. In that day, she was the opposite of everything he was. He's wealthy. Everything about Jairus is opposite in her. And she privately comes to Jesus. He publicly comes to Jesus. But you know what I love? Jesus publicly restores this woman. You see, if we read it and all we see is a physical healing, we've missed the whole thing. She's physically healed the second she touches him. But Jesus still stops. Why? Because he restores her whole identity. The woman who's been the outcast, the one with the issue of blood, the one no one cares about, the one who shouldn't even be in a crowded room, Go away, sit in the corner. You're not good enough to be with the rest of us, you outcomer. The very one no one else cares about, he stops and calls daughter. Daughter. From outcast to daughter in a second. And that's what he does with us. That's what he did with our lives. We were outcasts. Gentiles were not the chosen people initially. And yet in a moment, Jesus looks and he calls you son and he calls you daughter. He changes your whole identity. And this woman had so much more than just a physical healing. Her whole identity is transformed. And Jesus publicly heals her. But imagine the moment as all of a sudden the messenger comes through the crowd. Don't bother the master anymore. The little girl's died. Imagine the awkwardness of that moment for that woman. She's snuck through a crowd that she shouldn't have done and she's stopped Jesus and she's stopped Jairus. Imagine locking eyes with Jesus. Imagine locking eyes with Jairus when you know his little girl's just died. Why? Because you delayed everything. Imagine the awkwardness of that moment. Yet there was no condemnation. There was no shame. Why? Because Jesus goes on and heals the little girl, raises her from the dead. Spoiler alert if you've not read it yet. She, he raises her from the dead. No need to panic. You see, Jesus is never late. He's always on time. Always. And Jesus goes on. He publicly restores her. He privately 
raises the daughter from the dead. Oh, Jesus, you don't understand PR. You know, if it's not happened on Instagram, if you've not captured that scene for Facebook, it's not happened, right? See, you've got to get the miracles on Facebook, Jesus. This is good PR. You want to you do the, her miracle could have happened in secret, and Jairus' big raising of the dead. Let's see that in public. That's an Instagram moment, Jesus. And Jesus does the opposite of what our world tells us to do. The opposite of what our culture tells us to do. But he does the impossible. He does the incredible when we're willing to whip, touch some untouchables. So Jesus does it again with this widow in Nain. He's passing through, and this one widow comes through. And again, he stops. And what I love is it says, he touched the coffin. Why does he do that? You see, Jewish culture, when you touch a dead body, you're now unclean for seven days. That means you cannot leave the house. You are, you are outside. You are ostracized for seven days. Now, this was done in Jewish culture not to be horrible, but to stop the spreading of communicable diseases. It was, it was set in place as a good thing back in a day where they didn't understand biology. They didn't understand how diseases worked. Back in a day before they had microscopes, but God knew in his wisdom. And so that one of the Jewish customs was to keep yourself separated for seven days if you've touched anyone unclean, for example, a dead body. Jesus, in Jewish custom, he comes and he could have just spoke to the boy. And indeed, he does eventually speak to the boy and commands him to rise. But before that, it says that he touched the coffin. Now, this was so much of a shock that it records the coffin bearers stood still. You see, they've got to carry this out. This is part of their role. This is part of their custom. They were probably related to the family in some way in having to do it. It would have been more like a stretcher than a coffin, what we have today. It would have been more like a stretcher that they were carrying the body on. And Jesus touches it. Why in the world would he do that? Why would he inconvenience himself and do that? You see, the world will paint a picture of a God who sits aloof from mankind looking down upon us, just waiting to smote us when we mess up. But the God that I know reaches right into my messy situation and grabs a hold of my life. He grabbed a hold of your life. And the challenge to us is will we reach out and touch? Even when it's an inconvenience, even when it's messy, even when everything's not transformed yet, will we be ones who will touch an untouchable situation? You see, sometimes we wait for people to clean up their act before we'll get involved. We'll let that drug addict prove that he wants to change his ways, and then we'll input into his life, right? Well, let's wait for the prostitute to walk in off the street, and then we'll invest our time and our love and our energy into her, because, well, they've got to show willing, right? And yet Jesus doesn't do that. He gets right into the middle of the mess and touches a hold of that situation. About 12 or 13 years ago now, I was out in Nigeria, and <laughs> Nigerians in the house, come on. I was out in Nigeria, and um, we were going into some brothels, and I, I knew this. I'd, I'd, I'd bought these beautiful little necklaces with hearts on to tell these girls that, you know, Jesus loved them, and there was a, there was a way out for them, and there was hope for them. But then the day before going in, I was with a whole team, and on this team were many preachers. And the day before going into the brothel, this Nigerian lady turned around to me and she said, so tomorrow you will preach in the brothel. Mm -mm. Mm -mm. No, I ain't. Mm -mm. 
12, 13 years ago, you would have never seen this. This would not have happened. I would have never been had a microphone in my hands. I was a behind the scenes kind of person and I was more than happy with that. I'm happy to serve behind the scenes and someone else could have to do the talking. I don't preach. I remember the first time my parents asked me to sing in church, my reaction was to burst into tears. I was horrified, no, no way. Keep me behind the scenes, thank you very much. And so with everything, with every ounce of strength, I mustered up to sound really like authoritative, my English way, and I looked at her and I said, no. <laughs> and being Nigerian, she said, yes, I speak to the king in you and not to the fool. You will preach tomorrow. <laughs> and she just called me a fool. So of course I obliged. And um, so I went to the brothel and I got this nice, neat little message. I'd never preached the gospel publicly before. I'd done it one-on-one. -on -one. That's my strength. But publicly, mm, mm And so I'd gone with my nice, neat little message of how Jesus had a plan for these girls. This was not the destiny for their lives. He loves them. He's, he wants to rescue them out of this life that they found themselves in. And I'd gone prepared with my nice, neat message for these girls. So I walk into the brothel. It's my first time in a brothel because you'd be glad to know I don't normally frequent them. And so I walk into this brothel and it's a bar with the bedrooms adjoined. So one, I'm stood in a bar. I don't go in bars. I'm stood in a bar. The bar's in a brothel. I don't go in brothels. And I'm asked to preach. I could not be more out of my comfort zone if I'd have tried that day. And so what I was ready for was the girls. And on this side of the bar were the girls. What I was not ready for was that on this side of the room were the men. And they were pretty much waiting for me to shut up so that they could carry on with business as usual. Well, the whole time I'm there, there's something about injustice that's just a red rag to a bull for me. And the whole time I'm there, you know when you get hot under the collar? You can feel yourself getting sweaty and it's more than just the nerves at this point. I'm just irritated by the whole situation. And so without realizing it, I began to change my posture. And as I'm talking, I begin to turn until eventually I'm stood like this. I kid you not, I'm not exaggerating. I was stood like this. And I'm facing the girls, telling them about a love and a mercy of a savior that just longed to rescue their lives. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke. And he said, didn't I die for them too? You see, in my self-righteousness that day, I'd made a choice that these were worthy of salvation. But these, and I don't say this lightly, I was quite really, literally willing for those to go to hell. How dare I? Stood talking about his love, and yet I determined who was worthy and who was not worthy of his salvation that day. I was so blinded by my own self-righteousness, because here I am preaching the gospel, yay! And yet their sin is way more public than mine. But I still had sin, had pride, I had arrogance, full of religion. And I stood there veiled by my own self-importance that day that I couldn't even see. It was one of those moments where you know you want the ground to just open up and swallow you because you just realize you're the biggest hypocrite in the room. It was one of those moments. It was the moment where I was like, Jesus, if you want to come back for your bride right now, that'd be fine. Right now right now. Nope, still in the brothel. Okay, thank you, Jesus. Um, and all of a sudden, I began to change my physical posture. But what I was really doing was changing my heart posture. What's your heart posture like today? See, have you made your mind up of who you're willing to share the gospel with? Who you're willing to share your life with? 
But those are the type of people, well, I just don't naturally click with them. Afghan border, no thanks. Give me Kenya. I asked for Kenya, I'll take Kenya. Afghan border, mm -mm -mm. I'm all right, thanks, Jesus. Someone else can know there. Don't send the Daz White people, right? But what's your heart posture like? Have you closed off to certain people without even realizing you're doing it? Have you closed off to a certain family member who's just always irritating you? Always pressing that button at every Christmas do, them buttons that you know they know to press. And they ask that one question that you know is just going to press that button. What's our heart posture like? That day in the, in the brothel, I turned my physical posture and began to preach to the men too. To my amazement, many people in the brothel that day responded to the gospel. How terrible is that? What an evangelist. I was more shocked than they were when they responded. Many of the girls responded, which was amazing, but equally some of the guys did too. But one guy in particular came out and spoke to me afterwards and he said, Becky, I'm a Muslim man. I've never been in a brothel in my life. I don't agree with them. I avoid places like that. I don't agree with it. I think it's shameful. Would never do that. But today I was walking past and for some reason I felt drawn in. Now I know why I need Jesus. And that day I looked at that man and with tears streaming down my face, had the joy of leading him in the sinner's prayer. But I knew full well, had I carried on judging that side of the room with all of the same, if I'd have carried on judging, would he have met a savior that day? Or would he have just met an arrogant British girl? It's one of those moments where how on earth can we hope to change the world when we're judging it? How on earth can we change Wimbledon when we're judging it? How on earth can we change our nation when we're just judging it? How on earth can we have input into politics when we're just judging it? We don't always agree with everything that's going on, but guess what? We're still asked to pray for them. The reality is my own pride and judgment almost stopped me from reaching out in that brothel. And I am so thankful for the Holy Spirit who changed everything that morning. And this morning, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will do the same in your life. That the Holy Spirit will begin to just work on your heart posture right now. That just like Jesus will be willing to reach out and touch the untouchables. That we'd be willing to reach out and love our neighbor. So many times, Jesus is the one stood between a hopeless situation and a miracle. He's the one who stands between it. He's the one who's still the father to the orphan. He's the one who stands between her, the widow and her hopelessness, the sinner and their lostness. He's the one who stands in the middle and is the one who brings hope. And he did the same with this widow. He comes and he raises this little boy from the dead. But how many, more, how many of us would have been off put from ever touching that? Because it's an inconvenient. Our Western culture, everything's about comfort. Comfort. I remember bringing our Kenyan guy over from, um, it was the first time we'd never left Kenya before, and we brought him to England about two or three years back now. Taking him through a drive-thru was hilarious. We got to the first window, and I ordered my skinny caramel latte, please. And he turned to me, and he said, we, we don't go into the shop to place the order. No, no. We sit in the car, we roll down the window. Oh, press a button now, because we no longer have to do this. Thank you, Jesus. Press a button. And we order our skinny caramel lattes through the window without ever moving. And we wonder why we're gaining weight. But anyway, that's beside the point. That's why we get the skinny milk. And um, then we go on to the next window where we then pay for the coffee. 
And again, he turns to me and he said, you don't go into the shop to pay. No, we stay in the car. You sit right here. It means your hair doesn't get wet in the rain. For people who have to straighten their hair like me, that's a great thing. I stay in the car. Then we get to the final window. I thought he'd got it by now. I thought he'd captured what a drive-through was by this point, but no. We get to the third and final window where I get my heavenly cup of coffee. Thank you, Jesus, for coffee. And they pass our coffees through the window. And again, he turns to me and he said, so we never go into the shop? <laughs> no, we stay in the car and we drive through the drive-through. It's all in the name. Titles there. And that's fine. That culture is fine when you're getting your coffees. But you know what? That culture sometimes slips into the church. Lord, we, we want to work for you, but can it be on our timescales? Lord, they're asking me to help in the kids' church. That's an hour a week of my time. Way too inconvenient. I don't want to do that. Not, oh, now they're asking about the food bank. I don't want to have to give for the food bank. That's an extra tin of beans in my shopping every week. I can't afford that extra 45 pence, Lord. You seen how much beans have gone up? That's an inconvenience, Lord. And we want everything on our times. We want everything. If the church temperature's not quite right, we're going to moan to the pastor. If the, if the music's a little bit too loud, we're going to moan to the pastor. If we want everything just so, as comfortable as comfortable can be. Yes, Lord, send me, I'll go. But I never, I won't. don't send me to the Afghan border, Lord. Mm -mm -mm. I'll go as long as it's Hawaii, Jesus. Lord, I'll love my neighbor as long as it's not sister so-and-so, because you know what she's like. And the drive-through culture flows right into the church. God's looking for people who will touch despite an inconvenience. For you to love, it's going to inconvenience you at times. It's going to cost you your time. It might cost you your money. It might even cost you your health on certain occasions. But will we be ones to touch the untouchables? You see, I see what Christ does. He touched this situation. It says that they all stood in awe. It doesn't say the churchy people stood in awe and praised Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. It says they all stood in awe. That's the widow. That's the coffin bearers. That's the whole town of Nain coming out to see this little boy be buried. They all stood in awe and praised God. You see, we turn from the book of Malachi to the New Testament in the flick of a couple of pages. We turn, it's literally a couple of flicks of pages and we're right there, we're in Matthew. But for people living in Nain, that was 400 years of silence. No prophets, no revelatory word, no Holy Spirit moving, no tingling down the spines, nothing going on for 400 long years. And then Jesus. And they meet Jesus and they say, wow, God is in this place. I look at London. I look at our nation who years ago kicked God out of the nation. We don't have time to pray in schools anymore because it's not politically correct. Singing hymns in school, no, we can't do that. That's not right. We kick God out of the schools, kick God out of the nation because obviously we want to be politically correct now, right? Abortion, yeah, of course that's fine because the world's telling us it's fine. So as a nation, yeah. But God's waiting for people who will make a stand and touch an untouchable situation, who will long for him to come back to this nation, that our nation will once again say, wow, God is in this place. You see, maybe, just maybe, if someone like me and someone like you 
grabbed a hold of an untouchable situation this morning. Maybe, just maybe, people in our communities would say, wow, God's in this place. Wow, God showed up in our nation. After years of looking like nothing's going on, I see God. Why? Because you touched an untouchable. Because you got past your own judgments, past your own self-righteousness. And we're willing to reach out and touch even when it's an inconvenient situation. I'm praying this morning that your hearts are stirring. That you would say, God, here am I. Let me touch an untouchable. Let me pour out my life even when it's inconvenient. I wonder if the guy on the keys could come back up for us. Life's not about comfort. It's about glorifying him. Life's not about how easy breezy we can make it for you. But it's about you pressing in to what he's got for you, to what he wants to do through you. Not that it's about you, but it's about him. No, it's nothing about you. It's not about your glory. It's not about, oh, look how good I am. It's about him being so merciful that he's willing to flow through vessels of clay, through vessels who mess up continually. Vessels will get it wrong but vessels whose heart yearns within them saying, yes, God, use me for your glory. Yes, God, send me, use me. God, let I touch an untouchable. Maybe the untouchable for you today is being able to help a little kid. If you're able to sponsor, we do child sponsorship scheme. Some in this room already sponsor some of our kids. It's 18 pounds a month and you can sponsor a particular child to help them through education, whether that's one of our kids in Kenya, one of our new kids in Pakistan. If you're able to help us, please come see me or Janine afterwards. But maybe the untouchable is your family member. Maybe your untouchable is the person who literally lives next door to you. Maybe the untouchable is that person in the workplace, that person who's always on your back, always irritated, always seems mad at the world. Maybe that's you're untouchable. Whoever it is today, I want you just for a second begin to pray and seek God. You see, there's an untouchable that every single one of us can reach out and touch this week. I'm not talking years down the line. I'm talking today. I'm talking today, sending a text message just saying, hey, I'm here for you. I love you. If you want to grab a coffee sometime, I'm here. An untouchable that this week you can make an impact on an untouchable that might inconvenience you, an untouchable that might even irritate you. It's not that everything's going to be hunky-dory and tomorrow you're suddenly going to love them. They might still press your buttons, but will you love them anyway? Will you touch them anyway? Will you pour out your life and be one who stands between the hopeless and the lost and the broken? Will you be one to touch them just as Christ touched you? And just as Christ touched me, I want you to stand to your feet for a minute. And if that's you, I want you to simply raise your hand. I'm not going to come and lay hands on you this morning because I want you to do business with God. I can't do this for you. I can't change what your Monday morning looks like. But right now you can do business with Jesus. Right now you can do business with heaven to say, Father, I want to touch the untouchables in my life. God, I want to touch the broken. I want to touch the lost. 
I want to touch those that have not had a heart fall before. God, I pray right now, would you work on our heart posture? Would you work on our heart posture that, Father, wherever we've been blinded, wherever we've been narrow-minded, wherever we've been closed off, would you do a work on the inside of our hearts right now, Jesus? God, that you would use us, use our lives to touch the untouchable, to touch the broken. Here we are, God. Use us for your glory. We want to see Wimbledon transformed. We want to see London transformed. We want to see this nation transformed by your glory, God. We know you want to move in this land. We know you want to move in this nation. God, would you move in us first? Would you move our heart postures today, God? We say we are setting our faces towards you. We are coming, Lord. We're coming, God. We're coming into your presence right now saying, God, use me. Use me, change my heart, change my mind. Every judgment, every ounce of pride, let it go. Let it go, let it go, let it go right now in your presence, Jesus. Holy Spirit, we need you. Holy Spirit, we long for you. Move in our lives, move in our hearts, move in our families, move in our nation. Holy Spirit, we ask for a move of God in this place. Oh God, would you move in great power? Sweep across our nation. Sweep across this land, Lord, with a move of the Holy Spirit. Our hearts burn after you. Long after you, that you would come. Come, come, come. The bride say, come, Lord Jesus, come. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The bride say, would you move on us? Would you move in my heart? Would you move in my heart today, God, that my heart posture would kneel before the throne of grace? Here I am, Lord. Here I am, God. I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you, that you would use our lives for your glory. Use our lives for your glory. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Have your way, Holy Spirit. Jesus, move in this place. Move in this place. Move in every heart. We thirst, we long, we hunger. But would you start it in us? We know you want to move, but would you move us? Would you move our feet? Would you help us take that step into that street, into that neighborhood, into that community? Move your people, God. Move your people, God. Move our hearts today as we hunger for you and hunger for the lost. As we hunger after Jesus and we hunger for the broken. Use our lives for your glory. Use our lives in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.